This is the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where it's all about getting the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. Brought to you by Itumar Shafir, founder and CEO of Umbrella, the technology platform and brand that is powering thousands of marketing agencies around the country. Find him at UmbrellaUS.com. Now, here's your host, Kevin Pruitt. This is Kevin Pruitt with the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, and my guest today is CEO of Nucleus Research, where he is responsible for the company's investigative research approach, product set, and overall corporate direction. A recognized expert on ROI and TCO analysis of technology, he's a frequent speaker at industry and business events. He's also been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, The Economist, and Financial Times. I know we are just scratching the surface, but please welcome my guest, Ian Campbell, to the Marketing Umbrella Podcast. Ian, Kevin, thanks for joining us. Kevin, thank you very much. Thank me. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun because we had a little chat before we hit the hit the big red record button here, and, and it's amazing that technology sometimes is our greatest friend and our greatest enemy at the same time. But Ian, thank <laughs> you for your persistence in in getting this taken care of, and I am looking forward to a great chat. But Hey, that's that's a pretty short bio for a long career. So, man, round it out a little bit. Tell us what what are some things that that you think would help build a foundation, you know, for our audience about Ian Campbell. Sure. So, I've been in the technology industry since it feels like the beginning of time, but uh, I've been at IDC for a very long time and and really founded Nucleus over 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, and think of Nucleus uh, like any other technology research firm like a Gartner or Forrester IDC. The difference is that rather than have opinions or sort of a list, we look at value. So, we take a look at technology from a value lens. Does something deliver value is the question that we answer. <laughs> so, yeah, I like to say we don't like or dislike like anything, we hate everything equally. So we look at everything and say, does does the technology, does the decision you make, is that going to deliver value? Will I get back as a consumer of technology more than I spend for something? So really, is it worth it? And our primary research approach is case studies. We look at companies and what they actually achieved. And you know what I, I like to say to, uh, to salespeople, marketing people is, you may think you sell a screwdriver, but if you sell a paint can opener, that's the value your customer is getting out of your screwdriver. Exactly. So understanding how they achieve value and understanding how they can maximize that and really helping folks either deliver a business case or build a business case is the core, really the root of what we do every single day. We have analysts who are across various areas that uh, you would expect from any other research firm. So nobody in their right mind at, at 20 years old woke up one day and said, hey, I want to start Nucleus Research. So walk us through kind of that early stage journey. What were some of the other things that you did to kind of prepare you for starting your own firm? Yeah, so, you know, kind of an interesting path. I started out as a as a computer science major and uh, really, you know, as a, a coding person, I've, I've got some interesting software that I, I wrote years ago and worked for the Department of Transportation and, and did some interesting things mm -hmm. working for them, including some of the early versions of delaying airplanes. So when you get a hold, a flow control hold, that's that's one of my early, early software years and years and years ago. Went on to work at various companies. Uh, I got an MBA uh, from Babson College and then mm -hmm. uh, really ended up at IDC. Uh, uh, and IDC, if you know, IDC is really more of a numbers uh, company. They look at market share as their primary approach. And from there, I really identified ROI and value. And that sort of mixed my technology background and my finance background. And really looking at, 
you know, it doesn't really matter who's the top of a list. And, and what I like to, to point out is there's no perfect product, that there are products that are great. There's a range of products. It's what's perfect for you. And that's not one great product. Point. That's a range yeah. of products. And so, you know, if you're a small company, you're going to get value in a different way from a large company and even the same product. So, you know, we know big companies that can deploy something like Salesforce and get great value out of it. But if you think about a Salesforce, you deploy that to a company with one or two salespeople. That value proposition is not the same yeah. as that company has a thousand salespeople. Yeah. So even a product that you would mm -hmm. say, oh, well, must be at the top of the list, isn't quite. And, mm -hmm. and identifying that, you say, gee, now I can mix finance and technology. I can take both of those things and move forward. And uh, I sort of, I don't want to say fell into Nucleus, but sort of crafted um, that and, and carved that out as a niche. And uh, it's been a great run for uh, for 20 something years. I hate to say 20 years, but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> 20 something. Did you, would you say that you were looking back like, you know, at roles when you were working at, at other companies, were, did Nucleus kind of, you know, scratch an itch that you, you didn't find out there that you thought you saw kind of a gap in the market and thought, you know what, I'm just going to create something to, to really serve my own needs almost or serve the needs of the company I was working for. Yeah. And I think, I think all great products and we, you know, we're, we see that when we work with small companies. Mm -hmm. All great products at, at the core is an idea that says, I think there's a problem for the company, for, for the world. I think there's something missing. There's a hole here that I think I can fill. And when we work with a small company, usually it's, I think I can do it better. I think I can do it cheaper. I think I can fill a need nobody else can feed. So, you know, that's one of the great things that we do is look at ROI and we look at those small companies and say, gee, how are these guys getting value? Um, mm -hmm. And so with Nucleus, it was the same thing. I looked at the, the typical opinion-based research said, boy, there, there's something missing. And, you know, it's funny, my, my wife just started a cachaça uh, company, and cachaça is a uh, rum, a, a Brazilian rum, and she did it almost the same way. She's a, a marketing person, but looked at it and said, hmm, there seems to be an opportunity for mm -hmm. cachaça at the high end, which really doesn't exist in the U.S., and went off and sort of designed that as a product company and, and started that. So I think every entrepreneur says, well, what's the hole and how do I feel yeah. it? Yeah, and I, and it's interesting because I I um just kind of a, you know market agnostic. I kind of had this theory about the difference between say business owners and those that run businesses and true entrepreneurs. You know, and I think it is that that genetic disposition to you know like when if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So the the whole the adage that says you're constant there's a gear constantly spinning to say I I, I am driven to solve that problem that I see. And yeah. uh, it's not like to me you did. I almost have a, a pet peeve about people that say they're serial entrepreneurs. You are either an entrepreneur or you're not. And if you are, you <laughs> are all the time. Yeah. You don't ever change that mode. Yeah. You always look at something and say, hmm, I think I can yeah. do that better. And it almost doesn't matter what it is. Because true entrepreneurs, people that I know that really are that kind of innovative person, they're always thinking about new ideas, whether it's something you know crazy that's a hardware thing or a mm -hmm. software thing or a different services thing. It's not that. It's that identifying a problem and working on that problem so you can figure out a better way to solve it. That's what it entrepreneurs. So you can't be a serial entrepreneur. You either are an entrepreneur or you're a person that started a single company. It's yeah. just a mindset. So yeah. it's just my own pet. You know, I think we should stamp out serial entrepreneur. It's there, that's yes exactly, no that's like, that's like redundant. It's, right. That's exactly right. So, and the, the whole idea is that it's just application of ideas. It's, you know, whether you actually, you know, follow through with them or not, but you're going to continue to have this, this idea generator going in your mind all the time. It's, it's puzzle. It's working on a puzzle, working on a problem. It's identifying something where you say, gee, that could be done better. Mm -hmm. You know, that could be done in a smoother way, or there's a different opportunity and, and working on how to do that better. And, right. 
And uh, you see that with people who are actually entrepreneurs and, they, and real entrepreneurs don't really say, I'm a serial entrepreneur. They say, oh, I've just started another business, but that's uh -huh. just part of their journey of just solving problems and then moving on. And yep. you know, I think entrepreneurs actually have a, some level of ADD where they get tired of it after a while and go <laughs> on to the next project. So you know, it's, uh, it's sort of an interesting mindset. It is. Uh, it's the early stages of companies that they're more concerned about than than uh, and that it, how do you exit from that idea generation that you created? But uh, absolutely, yeah. when I when I have to deal with uh, healthcare plans and four hundred one k plans, that's when I get frustrated. So <laughs> right. I, I can push that off to somebody else. I'm not an HR person. I don't <laughs> want to get to the point where I have a company running that big. But, exactly. But exactly. You are highly unemployable. I think is the, yeah, is the exactly is the characterization. But this is going to be a, a pretty a quantum shift here. And so you mentioned it earlier about you know, building technology for, for airplanes. I mean, you just bought a plane. I mean, did, did, did I hear that? Was that, a, was that something you, that was it maybe an add-on to your bio that you sent in? I, I did actually. I think I think my marketing person tossed that onto the bio. But yeah, actually, I, I've I've been a pilot for a long time, so I have been flying on and off. And uh, really, Nucleus as a company started and was founded in Boston. Uh, and we moved down. We moved here to Miami, which is where I am now, about three years ago. And in fact, the entire company moved. We closed down all of our operations in, in Boston. But coming to Miami, you know, the weather is just a lot better in Boston. Yeah. So I started flying a lot more than I did, and I have been flying uh, uh, very frequently. Uh, South Florida for anyone that is a pilot, uh, is a rather hectic place to fly. So mm. there are a lot of airports down here. Mm -hmm. But uh, in flying, you know, like anything else, it's a challenge and ended up uh, uh, purchasing an airplane. And I just, just flew back from uh, Wichita about a month ago and have been uh, getting as much time as I can in the air. So good balance from working day to day and the things I do here and then going off and, and flying or uh, any of the other activities. Uh, but yeah, it's been an interesting run. Very, uh, the technology has changed. I learned to fly in, 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 in a long time ago. Ago. And today, I don't yeah, even we don't want to hear any sop with camel. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, a little bit past that, but, like that, uh, so but yeah, yeah, it was it was quite a long time ago, and, and now, of course, the technology is is orders of magnitude easier. Mm -hmm. So, I think I spend more time reading manuals than anything else. But yeah, it's, it's a great other challenge, and I think with anything you do, having that balanced in life where you're focused on work and 100, but if you don't take time away and mm -hmm. sort of balance that, even if it's the same level of intensity, whether it's flying or you know whatever you do, but being able to have that balance and that shift from one to another, I think that right. keeps you fresh in what you do. So, you know, I come in with new ideas because I'm thinking about it when I'm flying and, you know, it's, it's that back and forth. Uh, and I think that's really important. And I think most entrepreneurs maybe have that same sort of balance of just different activities that they do and they swap between. I think that uh, I'm, I appreciate you sending me kind of a manuscript of the, of your book as well. So I, that kind of preview before we, we chatted here, but it was so interesting to me as I kind of look from chapter to chapter, every one of them seemed to have a, a stark contrast, you know, that you, you kind of juxtapose two ideas against each other. And often it seemed like you chose like the, you know, the path less traveled. Most people look at this, you know, as the, yeah. as the key indicator, but you know what, we're going to look at it this way. So what, and, and it sounds like to me that that was a little bit of the of the idea or the genesis of Nucleus was you looked at something from a different perspective, you know, think yeah. airplane again. So I, I thought that was so interesting looking through the chapters of the book, you know, how yeah, you, you had cho chosen a, an alternative perspective. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly. And thanks for 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 noticing it. It really is sort of what I think is just a clarity to something that you can you can take any topic. And ROI is a great topic where we all talk about it, but but it gets confusing very quickly. Mm-hmm. What is ROI? How do I present that? It's it it sounds complex, and and if you really break it down and and go about it in logical steps, like flying an airplane. Honestly, everybody listening to this podcast can fly an airplane. It's not that difficult. It's a lot of other things that are difficult about it, you know, radio work and everything else. But actually, physically flying an airplane is very easy to do. But you may, you, you seem, you perceive it as being very complicated, very very difficult. It really isn't. And once somebody shows you, you go, oh, well, I didn't realize I actually have all the skills to be able to do that. And with ROI, one of the first things I do, uh, and I think I start the book with this example, I say, you know, if you could, if, if I told you you could make money raising baby alligators in your bathtub, would you do it? And of course, everyone goes through the same 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 process. They go, wow, that's silly. Then they think, and they go, how much money am I going to make? <laughs> and you say, $5 million a year. And they go, I'm in. I'm and, in. You know, <laughs> right? So there's a number. Everybody I love baby alligators. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you're, absolutely. You're the biggest fan of baby alligators. And you know, every single person listening to podcast, there is a number above which they are filling their bathtub with baby alligators mm-hmm. and raising baby alligators. And their spouse is happy and everybody's excited. Yep. Even if it's their only bathtub, they can't use a bathroom for the, for the next year. They're, they're in. This is the best idea they've ever had. And the point there is, I, I didn't tell you anything about the product. I didn't tell you anything about the features of the product. I didn't tell you mm-hmm. fun to play with. I didn't tell you to make great pets, whatever. I, I didn't tell you anything about alligators. The only thing I told you about is you could make money doing it. And when you break ROI down to that simple fact that, you know what, if I show value, I can close deals, which means if I'm not closing deals, it's probably not because I didn't list all the features of my product. It's probably because I failed to say, hey, here's the value. Here's what's in it for you, the prospect. And, you know, ROI is another thing where we all say, gee, it sounds like it's, it's a math problem. must be complex. You know, every person has walked into a bank. Every person has put money in a savings account or a checking account and said, what's my interest rate? Which mm-hmm. means every person understands what ROI is. Yep. Give somebody $1,000, they give you back $100 a year. That's a 10% ROI. Mm-hmm. You know that. You already know the calculation. There aren't multiple methodologies for calculating ROI. There's one way to do it right, a whole lot of ways to do it wrong. Yeah. But you already know the way to do it right. So you know, the thing with the book, when we, we, we kind of break down everything into chapters, one chapter after another, we say, you know, you're thinking about things too, you're making it too complex. You're making it into, oh my God, how do I fly an airplane? When the fact of the matter is, pull back to go up, push forward to go down, mm-hmm. left and right, you're good. That's about all you need to know. It's not that hard. So, you know, we look at, at ROI and how difficult it is, but if we simplify it and say, hey, ultimately, there's only three things I can do for a customer. I can either increase the productivity for their employees, I can reduce their cost in some way, or I can increase their profit, which is ultimately just a byproduct of the other two. Mm. Now, when you realize that's all I can do, doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you do, ultimately, you're only doing three things for them, right? One of those three things. Yep. So, you know, I sell combines to a farmer. Well, what am I doing? I'm increasing the productivity of the farmer to be able to farm more acres. Mm-hmm. Simple. Right. Yep. I uh, I provide a, a cloud-based application instead of on-premise. I'm reducing their cost of managing the mm-hmm. application. That's all I can do. Yeah. So when you start to boil it down to that, especially as a marketing person saying, oh, look at all these features. All these features bundle into those three things. Mm-hmm. That's it. And once you do yep. it, you make it real simple for the salesperson to say, I get it. This new release we just put out mostly increases productivity for the people with a little bit of reduction in cost. Instead, what you usually get is a marketing person saying, look at all these new features. Mm -hmm. 
hoping that somebody can draw a link between a feature and some kind of real benefit. Right. right. That's where the disconnect comes. But it's actually actually it's actually really simple. It just needs a little bit more clarity in the way you're thinking about it, a little simplification. Same thing with benefits. Yeah. We can go on about benefits for yeah, well, I, I'm going to ask you about that in a second. So the, I mean, your bank example is great. I mean, you're walking in, what's the, what's the interest rate on a, on a bank account that I'm going to open? I mean, they don't lead off with, you know, our app really works really well, you know, right. or it's really easy to open this account. It'll only take you five minutes. I mean, we're, they open up with, here's the interest rate. I mean, they answer that initial value question right off the bat. And, but why do you think that is? I mean, something that seems so apparent and so duh, you know, to, to us, you know, on this, as we're having this conversation, why do you think so many salespeople, even in, in marketing as well, we're yeah. talking about the features, we're talking about whatever, without uh, getting to the value. What is the, what's the roadblock? What's the, yeah, it's, the it's, mind block? it's incredible to me because I do, I do so much sales training and, you know, those annual sales uh, training meetings and you see salespeople in three days of meetings that are going through everything. And most of the meetings are on features. Here's what our product does. Mm -hmm. And very little of the meeting is here's how it actually helps the customer reduce cost, increase productivity, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so salespeople, the default answer for everything is throw more features at them. These are all the things it does. Mm -hmm. That's it. So if you don't know what to do, the only thing you've been trained on doing is throw more features at them. Look, it's blue. Right or it's if if Bank of America said, "Look, our sign's red." <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> yeah. And Chase says, "Ours is blue, and it's blue against red." It doesn't mm -hmm. tell you anything about which yep. one's giving you the greatest interest rate. In fact, I frankly don't care which bank it is. It's right. I, I'm going to go with the, one with the, the 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 greatest interest rate. So, uh, sort of the alligator example. Don't care what the product is if you tell me I'm making mm -hmm. five million a year and I don't have to spend that much on it. Then that's great. And in fact, it's interesting. I was talking to some CFOs a little while ago, and we were talking about value. And I pointed out, I said, if I walked into your office and said, I can save you half a million dollars a year if you give me $10,000, they wouldn't even ask me what I was doing. Mm -hmm. They could care less what I was doing yeah. for the money as long as I was saving the money. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, we tend to focus on what are the features of the product when we don't know. And part of that is just a training issue. Part of that is marketing, not focusing on features first. And I always say lead with features, lead with, lead with benefits, I'm sorry, lead with how does the product deliver value for the customer and then follow up with the features that do it? We're going to increase your productivity because we're a CRM solution that help make, helps make your, your sales reps more productive because of these five features. That's what we're going to do. So just a, a good litmus test for marketing people. Start always with how does it help the customer, then work backward to the features. Mm -hmm. But I think we've taken a, a pro, and what we see with salespeople is you, know, you start saying, what do I do with ROI? Biggest question a salesperson will ask is, where does ROI fit in the sales funnel? And what I tell them is it doesn't. ROI doesn't fit in the sales funnel. Think of the funnel as having two sides. One side is the side you already know, right? Bring in a lead, qualify the lead, mm -hmm. why the proposition, all the stuff you already know, right? It's six stages, seven, 20, whatever it is for your company, right? So you know that side. The other side is the value side. The value side only has three steps. First step is talk about all the different ways you deliver value. Now you already know this because you've got customers. Mm -hmm. Ask them. How am I yep. delivering value? You'll probably have 10 different ways you've delivered value for customers. Talk about those. Second stage, when you're getting you know, towards the middle of the funnel, talk about other companies like them that have achieved value. Here's another manufacturing company just like you. Here's how they're using the product. Here are the three benefits they receive. Then the third stage is what will they get? What's in it for them? So how do you deliver value? How have others achieved value? How will they achieve value?
And what salespeople do is they'll go through, they'll go through the sales funnel and say, ignore ROI, ignore ROI, ignore ROI, down to the end where they say, mm -hmm. oh, I got to build a business case. Then they bring in some some value team, which is the worst thing you can do because mm -hmm. this should not be a project. This mm -hmm. is just a, a message. And then they try to close the deal. What you should have done at the beginning is talk about value. And then when you get to the middle. You're narrowing that message, making it more unique for them. And then when you get to the end, what's in it for them specifically? Mm -hmm. How do they look at value? Another tip I tell everyone is, you know, we've, as a company, published almost 2,000 ROI case studies. It's the core part of our research approach. So we publish a lot of case studies every year. Uh, in all of those case studies, we've never seen more than five benefits. There are usually one or two benefits that drive a deal, two or three that support it. That's it. So if you think about a CRM system. I've deployed a CRM system to make my sales reps more productive. That's it. That's your number one benefit. Everything else is tiny compared to that. You'll yeah. drive that deal based on that benefit alone. Mm -hmm. Stop throwing a bunch of benefits. If you've mm -hmm. got over five, you've messed up. Yeah. And that's a good rule for everything. If you've talked over five benefits, you have made a mistake when you're trying to build a business case. But maybe closer focus, to three. You know, it's three, it's yeah, two, it's yeah. one. Mm -hmm. You're going to close the deal on one. Mm -hmm. And so what we find is when you, you start with one good one, we're going to increase the productivity of your sales reps. That's great. And then you've got this long tail of other benefits that are somewhat dubious. And you get down to a benefit of, you know, we're going to make your clients happier because we're going to have a better response time. And because of that, they'll buy more. Are you kidding me? That's I can't calculate it. It's got a high degree of variability. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. You had a great benefit with the first one. Stop talking. Yeah. And you know that's, that's one right. of the things that marketing doesn't do very well because marketing will say, "Look at all these wonderful stories we've uncovered." No, you haven't. These are just fictional stories. You've you know one-off stories that don't help you close a deal. Mm -hmm. You've got two, three, maybe four things total that drive your most of your deals. Identify those, put a lot of weight behind those, close based on those. That's what's going to make you successful. Do you is is part of the process figuring out what is value to the client? Like and we can make that yeah. assumption. I think sometimes we probably would assume wrong, you know, that wrongly that, that we're saying we okay, here's the value to you, A, B, C, and they're going, none of those are valuable to me, you know. You haven't even asked the question yet. So how do you know what's valuable to me? So what's the what is that that initial, that preliminary step that would lead you to, hey, we can really hone in on the value proposition for the customer? Yeah. So the thing to keep in mind here is you're selling to two people. I'm selling to a champion, and that champion is selling to someone behind them. They're getting budget. Mm. They're, they're getting someone else. Now, the person to whom you're selling is likely to care about KPIs. We want to generate leads, for instance. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they want to know about lead generation. Oh, look, I can double your lead generation. Now, the CFO could care less about that. The CFO wants to know, is this going to reduce my cost, or am I going to increase sales mm -hmm. in some way? What is it going yeah. to do, right? I care less about leads if it doesn't turn into money. Money is the only thing I can pay people yeah. with, not leads. Yeah. So, you know, the person who, in in, it's one of the traps you shouldn't fall into, because a lot of salespeople will say, identify the, the hot button for them and mm -hmm. sell to that hot button. That may seem good, but realize that that person has to turn around and mm -hmm. articulate that message. You're not selling to your champion. You, definitely not today. Your champion has come to you pre, already pre-knowledgeable about your product. They know what you do. They've already predisposed to buy your product. Nobody comes to somebody and says, gee, tell me all about CRM. I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding? It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. This is the 60s. Yeah. So it doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. Everybody knows what all the products are. So 
your champion already has an idea of why they're talking to you and what they're talking about. What you right. need to do is sell through that person with a crisp message. And what mm. you should keep in mind is if your champion is walking down the hallway and runs into the decision maker, the person that's ultimately going to either sign off on the project or the, the product, why you? And remember, there's two stages, why you and then why this project over all the other projects? There's not unlimited budgets anymore. So they're walking past that decision maker and they've got five seconds. And the decision maker says, hey, I hear we're doing this new project. Tell me why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. That better be something like because it will reduce our cost by 20 percent or because it's going to increase our sales productivity by 10 percent right. or something yeah but it better the delta be between the two are are yeah the, the difference yeah. between increased costs and, and increased return is I, is I'm uh, yeah. somehow save the company money in some way that that'll close the deal so just keep in mind that your person may care about kpis and that's interesting and you talk to that but sell through and say even though we have a kpi how can we take that kpi and turn it into money if we increase mm -hmm. your leads by 10 percent I know you care about lead generation, but ultimately, what does that turn into for increased profitability for the company? Because what you want them to say is, we think this will increase our leads by 10%, mm -hmm. and ultimately, that will turn into another $5 million a year in increased right. profitability. Right. That's what you need them to say. So sales, you're selling through somebody. You're not selling to somebody. So hypothetically, let's say that that person is the same person. Is there a, sh a, a shift? Is there a transition in the conversation where you literally are kind of talking to the two-sided personality of the of the individual? Often, um, and it's I think it's rarer and rarer that you're seeing both uh, the decision mm -hmm. maker and the sort of champion. Yeah, and certainly, it's much usually smaller firms and things. Yeah, like, yeah. smaller firms and mid-sized firms. But but if you walked into my office and said you're going to cut my cost by ten percent. I'm good. Stop talking. Walk out of my office. Do it. Right. So I don't care Get those what baby you're... alligators. That's right. Baby alligators. You can raise goats in my office for all That's I care. Right. I don't know what you're going to do. I'll move out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine with it. Um, and sort of, you know, that's that's again an absurd example, but sure. a great example. Mm -hmm. The person it will resonate more to them. I'll give you another another trick as well in talking to a champion. We talk about ROI, and ROI gets a lot of of hype. You know? We all want to talk about ROI, but your real strong metric isn't ROI. It's actually payback period. How long until I cover my cost? Because that's hmm. a risk number. Now, if I told you the ROI from a product is 300%, intellectually, you know that's a good number. But if I tell you that the payback period is four months, oh, you feel that. Mm -hmm. So that your champion is going to say, hey, we're doing this. It's got a great ROI. It'll reduce our costs, and it will cover its costs in, in four months. Well, yeah. You know, I'm good. So as a decision maker, especially today when people are more risk averse, that's a great way to present. So think about your business case. And there's an easy way to calculate benefits and costs and go through and do the math, which you should be able to do just in a pencil and paper. Mm -hmm. When you get down to it and do the ROI number, calculate payback and then lead with payback, follow up with ROI. Don't leave with ROI because it's a tough number to understand. Um, never use IRR, never use NPV, don't use any other metrics. There are only two metrics that matter, ROI and payback. Mm -hmm. um, there's some great stuff on the Value Sale website on um, why IRR is terrible and why NPV is worthless and all that other stuff. But uh, but yeah, there's a lot of metrics. All of them are fake. There's only two good ones, ROI and, and payback. <laughs> there's a lot of vanity metrics out there. That's right. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of stuff, a lot of consultants out there trying to make a lot of money. We will uh, we'll make sure and have those links in the in the show notes. Uh, speak directly to a large part of our audience are our marketing agency owners. 
you know, kind of talk about the the overlap there and and where, you know, talking about value really is is important for them as agency owners. Well, in, in talking about value, you know, there's obviously two sides. How, how can they talk about the value of what they do and how can they present value and sort of the craft and what they deliver to, mm-hmm. the, to the client? And certainly in value for them, it's the expertise. It's the time to achieve something. And that's where you look at outside agencies as being uh, sort of a better quality to get to the same point, especially for mid and small size companies. Right. In articulating a value message, it really is around boiling it down to simple, easy co- to consume points. So I'm going to help you you generate a value message that shows, again, how you deliver benefits, increased benefits, how, increased productivity, how you reduce cost in some way. Uh, and simplifying, simplifying, simplifying is sort mm-hmm. of the key for these guys. Time to value and payback, again, strong, yeah. strong, strong metric in the way you present it. Uh, and really thinking about, again, how is a message received? One of the things that that I like to point out is for a lot of these companies out here, you have a CFO in your company, likely. That CFO is not, they're already predisposed to look at value. They've been making decisions mm-hmm. for your own company for a long time. So think about the marketing agency. You've probably got a CFO. As you present a marketing plan to somebody, bring your own CFO in and say, before you present and say, hey, if I presented this to you, how would you receive it? Because you're the pessimist in the company. And I don't want to say that. CFOs really are. CFOs are optimists. They've just been beaten down with a lot of garbage that they've been sent. But they really want to be yes yeah. people. They just turn out to be no people. Mm-hmm. But you've got a really good resource internally, whether it's your own CFO in some way or as a consumer of a product, your own CFO looks at it and says, is this worth it? Yeah. So, you know, if you're building a product in some way, you've got a CFO. Before you present the product to the world, present it to your own CFO and say, would you buy this? There you go. That costs you nothing to do. Just walk up into their office and ask, and mm-hmm. you'll get some great feedback on does the message resonate with them. I that's that is such an in, an interesting insight to to bring your own CFO to the table prior to you know sharing that out externally. And uh, I think you're exactly right. I mean, it, it is a very unique perspective in the in the in by, you know, the corporate environment. But uh, talk about your book. What what was the purpose of writing the book? What is the, what's the the primary audience for the book available where? Yeah. So uh, Amazon, of course, uh, the value sale, you can get it there and, and go to our website. There's a lot of great articles up there. Uh, so, you know, Nuclear's been around for a while, and we've looked at value for a very long time, mm-hmm. and I've been teaching salespeople for a very long time. And I, I looked at a lot of the sales techniques and sales books uh, coming up, uh, you know, over the last few years, and there's some, there's some popular ones. And most of them are around how do I push a customer through the funnel? How do I get the customer to the next stage and the next stage? And what I realized, and, you know, what we've known from the beginning is it's the alligator example. If I showed you that you could make money with baby alligators, you're pulling yourself through the funnel. I'm standing at the bottom going out, let me catch you, because yeah. you're you're buying as many alligators as you can buy. So I can either push you through the funnel in whatever way that, that I've been taught to do that, you know, get to the CEO or you know, find their pain point, which is a terrible way to do it. Or I could say, Here's what you're going to get from it. And if I can turn it around and take it a value approach, I'm much better off. And a lot mm-hmm. of when I see people talking about ROI, it turns into a textbook. And it doesn't have to be. You can see the way we're talking. I'm talking about ROI in a way that I hope is consumable. This is not difficult. It doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And you know, if we break it down to very simple, easy-to-use chunks, benefits, for instance, a lot of people will talk about benefits as hard and soft. And a good trick is don't do that. Think about benefits as direct and indirect. But actually, you should think about benefits, and here's a really good framework. Think about benefits as what we call first, second, third, and fourth. 
A first order benefit is a benefit that's directly achievable. So if I tell you I'm going to cut a cost, you believe it. You know what the number is. A second order benefit has a hedging word. I expect to cut a cost. We mm -hmm. plan to cut a cost. So you can see a little more variability, mm -hmm. not as strong, right? So for the decision maker, cut a cost, intend to cut a cost. Yep. Third order benefit is a productivity gain. We will make you more productive. Okay, I believe it. Not sure how much. And then there you think about the bell curve and say, how do I walk somebody up to a number they believe? Mm -hmm. Recognizing that I don't need the perfect number. I just need a number that's good enough to close a deal, right? So you may be 10%, the other person may be 5%, another person may be 15 I don't care. I just care about it, the number they believe that gets me over the top. And then a fourth order benefit is something like, you know, lower turnover for salespeople mm -hmm. because they're happier in some way. Okay. That's a disconnected benefit. You can see high degree of variability. Yeah. I don't have any confidence in it. I know what it is. So just the idea of saying, hmm, how am I going to help this customer? What kind of benefits are they? Well, let me turn this around and lead with strong ones to follow up with mm -hmm. weak ones. It would make a huge difference in the way you present your business case. So really going from strong to weak in the way you present it makes it a lot easier for them to consume it and them to turn around and say, hey, decision maker, we're going to cut costs, mm -hmm. which is more likely to get the deal through to a, a signed contract than we're going to have ca happier customers, which I have no idea what the heck that means. Yeah. So just that framework, real simple. Mm -hmm. Doing that is really, really sort of the case. As I walk through the book, every chapter has a little bit of a, have you thought about it this way and look mm -hmm. at how much easier you can do it and clarify it, whether it's, you know, preparing for a deal with breadth and repeatability. And there's another point, high ROI is really driven by breadth and repeatability. Touch a lot of people a lot of times, you get a high ROI. Touch a few people a few times, you get a low ROI. Mm -hmm. So think about that CRM. I can have the same application, CRM. A lot of salespeople, high ROI. Very few yeah. salespeople, lower ROI. And you knew that already. Right. You just never had anybody say, right. right, those are the two things I've always been thinking. I never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. The minute you do, it becomes very easy to then apply that. And you walk in a deal saying, is this going to be a good deal or a bad deal? Not, do I have a good product, but is it good for them? What right. kind of environment am I walking into? And so the whole book, sort of each chapter, I said, what's the key point I'm trying to make? And how do we do this in a way that makes it easy for somebody to walk in and say, I now have 10 more tools in my toolbox that I probably already mm -hmm. had. I just know how to use them. No, or had never thought of them. You know, yeah. that, that, I never knew what that tool was for. You know, and it, they, you, you didn't. And you, it, when I just said breath and repeatability, a, a bunch of people always probably said, right. Mm -hmm. I knew that. You didn't. You did. But mm -hmm. you've always walked into deals saying, I know that big deals are better than small deals, but I never really thought about it as breath and repeatability because I can have two people in accounting using a product every day. High, high ROI, a lot of repeatability, but a little breath, right? Or I can have a lot of salespeople using a product weekly, still have a high ROI, a lot of people, not a lot of repeatability. Mm -hmm. Or I can have one person using something once a year. So, you know, conceptually, here's a good example. I can have software that onboards new employees. Okay, it's done once every time I hire a new employee. Low repeatability, low breath. Right? Not as high ROI as, say, a browser that yeah. I use every single day yeah, by exactly. every employee. And you, you sort of intuitively know it now once you go, mm -hmm. right, of course, I should have known that. And you probably already knew it, but you never really thought those are really the two factors that drive it. So simplifying it down to something uh, that makes it easy for you to then apply it in the sales situation. That was sort of the challenge with each chapter of the book. You can make it really complex mm -hmm. or you can make it really easy to use. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it wasn't, it was almost like a vertical contrast and a horizontal contrast in each chapter, yeah. you know, whether you had two ideas or whether you had the degree of difficulty or whatever, but it, yeah, the, I certainly encourage our listeners to grab a copy of the book because number one, it's, it's also readable, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it is written in such a way that 
you know, you don't feel like you're reading a, a manual, you know, right. or a technical manual. I mean, it, it really does. It has some, you know, it has it has truth and, and knowledge built into it, but it also has, it's readable. It has good readability as well. So I, yeah. I applaud you for that. But I, I want to shift right now. This is this is kind of my favorite part of the interview. So it's, it is a dramatic shift, and you're going to go, what in the world are they asking these questions for? <laughs> but there is method behind our madness, and, and we okay. do our own research on our end. So um, I'm going to ask you just rapid fire, just really quick, short responses. Don't even think, just answer the question. So did okay. you get along with your parents growing up? Yeah, very much, yeah. Do you have siblings? I do. One brother. Do you have a pet currently or pets other than the baby alligators? Oh, my God. Do I have a story about pets? Uh, <laughs> if you want to know. Uh, I, this is your two, time. Two, no, I'm going to tell you a pet story. So two months ago, we had two cats that we, we got when we uh, we rescued when we came down to uh, to Miami. And uh, we foster, my wife and I foster huskies. But we found a cat under our car uh, about a month ago. It was a little uh, Siamese cat. And uh, he was definitely abandoned. We said, all right, fine. So we take the cat home. And then uh, two days later, uh, one of the rescues that we work with said there's this dog that we had rescued that had a broken back and we had rescued him and, and kept him through about four months of, of back surgery. And he's a mm -hmm. beautiful dog. Mm -hmm. uh, they said, well, the, the folks that adopt him don't want him anymore. I said, oh, okay. So we'll take him back. So now I went from two cats two months ago to now three cats and a dog. Uh, and the dog is actually running around behind here and I'm in the office and uh, Bolt, who is absolutely beautiful white husky, all mm -hmm. absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful dog. Uh, is now a member of the family. So I've gone from two cats to, uh, I, we need to stop. I can't, I can't, uh, we can't have any more animals, but yeah. Well, you know what, what's happened? You've, you've been reverse engineered here so that like the animal rescue place is calling you, telling you the value you're going to receive by taking all these animals on. So I got the negative pressure on the cat, believe it or not. We're at a party, uh, we're at a, a friend's house and all these people from my company were actually there as well. And so I'm holding the cat and they said, well, if you don't, you know, if you don't want him, uh, just put him down. He'll, he, I'm sure he'll survive. <laughs> and everyone in my company is looking at me saying, nah, don't worry about it. Just put him down. And they know that I'm a sucker for that. <laughs> like, really, you guys are going to do this to me? Okay, so we'll keep the cat. Fine. It's always the internal pressure that's the worst, for sure. Oh, my God, it's terrible. They're all staring at me saying, no, just put the cat down. It's no big deal. <laughs> all right. So beyond off. pets, uh, do you have kids? Uh, I have one daughter. Yeah, she's 25. What time do you wake up on a normal day? Uh, I'm an early riser, so five o'clock is is pretty normal for me. And what time do you go to bed? Uh, I hate to say I, it's I don't get a lot of sleep, so eleven or twelve o'clock. <laughs> right. Ideal vacation spot: money, not an object. So my favorite spot is uh, the Four Seasons Hotel in uh, Koh Samui uh, in Thailand. Uh, take a look. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, if you said money, no object, not the cheapest place to go, but absolutely a spectacular view and just a beautiful uh, reception area. Really uh, sort of a top spot. And this is like an island in Thailand or uh, yeah, just on it's an coastal it's city? An Koh Samui is an island just off, uh, just off in Thailand. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, fantastic right. place to go. Is there an intersection of faith in your business? Faith there is. I think for us, it's about ethics uh, is the biggest part and doing the right thing. I think the, uh, the the thing that we instill in everybody is, and you know, I encourage all the listeners as well, if you have a question, call us, send us an email. Mm -hmm. Whether you're a client or not, really doesn't matter. We're here to help. And we enjoy doing that. And all of our analysts do. So always doing the right thing is probably the, the mantra that I that I, I think everybody uh, holds up to. And right. you never get in trouble here by doing the right thing. Uh, and so ethics and that are, are just crucial to our company. 
you were king for a day. What is one thing you would change in the marketing climate? Boy, I think I would probably make sure that the money you spend for online advertising is actually worth it so that you're getting the payback that you expect. <laughs> I think there's a few too many ad blockers and maybe the money I'm spending isn't exactly what I expect. It's, uh, I love it. It's I love it. We want you to be king for a day so you can you can turn that on for all of us. But Ian, uh, man, it's been great to, to chat with you today and just, just hear your heart and the, and the soul behind the business and, and how you've arrived where you are. But where's the one, one place online that people can find out more about you, about your company um, that you would like us to, to share today? Yeah, I'm not sure there's, there's one place. Always, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. great way to get a hold of me. But uh, at Nucleus Research, uh, so Ian at NucleusResearch.com is probably the best way to send me an email. Uh, and the Value Sale website has got a lot of good articles on it and a lot of uh, good background, a lot more detail that I didn't want to put in the book because it was just too much. Right. Uh, and really, you know, if you really want to go do a deep deep dive on IRR and the nuances of that, happy to do that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, please reach out. Uh, really easy. Uh, I hope to get a hold of whether it's me or, or any of the members here uh, at Nucleus and to the staff. Uh, we tend to be pretty friendly here. So uh, please call, please reach out. Uh, always looking to connect with people. Well, we will have those those notes or the uh, the links in the show notes for sure. And Ian, just thanks again for just taking time and just sharing your expertise and, and speaking to, you know, our primary audience is marketing agencies. We want to help them grow and scale their agencies. And we really appreciate you taking that time and just uh, playing your part and just really just increasing the knowledge around the whole marketing space. Ian, thanks again. Have a great day. Kevin, thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to another great episode of the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where we provide the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. To learn more, go to UmbrellaUS.com.